So uh, as you can tell, we're starting a new sermon series this morning titled, What's Your Problem? Uh, and it is a very fitting sermon series because over the last two weeks in the Santon household, we have had a fairly major problem. Two weeks ago on Friday night, uh, Stacey and I spent the night in Lexington. We got back late Saturday night and we come in and there's all this food around our house, strewn about in the kitchen. There's cereal, there's like half-eaten rolls, and it's like, what in the world is going on? And our dog is in her cage. I was like, did the dog like get out of the cage, eat the food, go back in the cage and lock up real quick? Like, I don't think that's what happened. And, and so, But we can't figure out what happened or why. So we go to bed that night. Um, we hear some animal noises in the attic. The next morning we get up, and again, there's like, Things like chocolate chips, the thing, whatever it was there, had a feast on chocolate chips that night. So then we're going away the next night. We were, in a, uh, we were going to a banquet in Morgantown uh, for Young Life on Sunday night. So we spent the night up there, came back Monday morning. Same thing. It's like, okay, we got to figure this out, you know. And I'm looking for where things could get in and the house and so forth. So I, got, I go and I buy a live animal trap, right? And I had seen some evidence uh, in the basement that there was some animal here. You know what evidence means, right? Okay, if you don't, ask your middle schooler. So, um, so I, I put the trap down there, you know, and I give it, you know, like food or whatever it is to try and trap this thing. Nothing, right? I haven't given it like a chocolate-covered strawberry. Nothing. So then move it around here to there. So then comes to last Sunday night. I'm like, I'm going to put the trap right where the food is that he keeps eating, the cereal, where we keep the cereal. So I stick the trap up there, and this is what we find. There we go. Yeah, it's, it, that thing, like, it's big, and it is, like, super heavy, and the reason it's so heavy, it's been eating my food for a week, and so it, we found it a new home at the uh, Kanawha State Forest, so Rocky Raccoon now has a new home, um, so, but it was, like, it was a problem for an entire week. Now, um, and by the way, just a little, you know, tidbit helpful, if you want to catch a raccoon, they love agave on a cracker, it just works great for us, so. Anyway, so here's the thing. I want to put a little bit of irony and history together for you. Uh, very, very few of you probably remember this, but back in uh, 2004, we did a series on 2 Timothy. So if you remember, we just finished up a series on 2 Timothy last week. And so while we're battling this raccoon, we're going through 2 Timothy. Well, go all the way back to 2004, that we're going through 2 Timothy. And the uh, title of the series was called Got Focus, right? We even have, that was our logo, Got Focus. And so I would talk about, you know, how do we focus on God and things like that through 2 Timothy. We also battled a problem back then, and this is the evidence to show it. So that is a dead, bloody rat in a Ziploc bag. I had to take a picture of it, of course. Uh, and so I actually entitled one of, the, one of the messages called Got Rat. And uh, so anyway, that is the story. That's the big problem in the Santon household. Uh, but what I want to make very, very, very clear is we will never, ever do a Second Timothy series ever again. Just too many problems to come with that. So, but we are starting a new series this morning, and it's titled, What's Your Problem? And we're talking about politics. Uh, so I think we definitely need to begin with prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have uh, Lord, just what an amazing time of worship, of communion, of just dumping our guilt away from us. God, thank you for that privilege of knowing you, 
Um, and God, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would teach us, pray that you would show us, that you would help us to hear what you want us to hear from the scriptures this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So as far as I can remember, uh, I have never done a sermon on politics. I've never used this platform, this music stand, this stadium, this podium, whatever you want to call it, whatever you call it these days. I don't believe that I've ever done a sermon on politics. And, I, and it's not because I don't care about politics. I'm actually pretty passionate about politics. I was a government major in college, so if you want to have a discussion about why we have the Electoral College, I'd be glad to explain that to you. If you want to know why it's called the Grand Old Party, I can explain that to you. If, you know, whatever you want to know, I can give you, I can have a good discussion about politics and government and all that kind of stuff, um, but have never given a message about politics in terms of voting and all that kind of stuff from the stage, from as far as the platform that God has given me. And why is that? Well, here's why. Is if you read the Gospels, read all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at Jesus and him talking about politics, you will not find any mention of politics in what Jesus says, in the sermons that he gives, in the conversations he has, does. The closest thing that we even come, it's really not even very close, is he mentions Caesar, it says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's, when he's talking about money. So he says, pay your taxes. That's about as political as Jesus gets. And the thing is, if Jesus was going to be political, he could have absolutely done that. And the time would have been perfect for him to be political because the ruler at that time was Caesar. And Caesar was a, just a, a megalomaniac, just an absolute self-absorbed person. There's actually a couple of people that were Caesars in succession as part of this ruling dynasty. But, you know, you know, we talk about Trump and whether you love Trump or hate Trump, you have to admit that Trump is a big personality. Compared to Caesar, he would be like a sweet little nun. Like he was, Caesar was just out there with his brutality, with his um, power hungriness and all of that type of stuff. But yet... Jesus lived in the midst of that. He never held a political rally. He never told people to uprise against the government. He never did any of that stuff because he was about a different kind of kingdom. He was about the kingdom of God, not about the kingdom of Rome. So that's why we don't talk about politics to an extent. But why this morning? Why after 16 years do we decide, hey, let's start talking about politics. And honestly, it's not because I want to necessarily. I feel like it's more I have to. Because I, you know, I like it when you like me, right? That's like giving a sermon and you like me and we laugh. Like I'd much rather talk about raccoons and dead rats than I would about politics, although there's some similarity there. But just <laughs> uh, But here's the thing, is if you look at our country and where our nation is at, and really even where our community is at in terms of Charleston and the Canal Valley, we're becoming more and more divided. The Pew Research Center does uh, research, and they track the same thing over time, over long periods of time. And it's fascinating to be able to see the differences of things over a period of time that could be measured. And so one of the things that they have measured is what are people's views in terms of about 10 different things, but how do they differ based on affinity or difference? Let me show you what I mean. Put up this graph, if you would. And so what this graph shows is that the greatest difference between how people think in terms of some major national and international issues 
uh, as race is 14%. So this is just African Americans compared to Caucasians have a 14% difference in terms of what they believe on some issues. Not a big difference. You look at religious attendance. Those that go to a religious attendance, so it could be church, synagogue, mosque, and those that don't, there's only an 11% difference. Education, 11%. Age, so that's over 50 and under 50, 10%. And then gender, the differences between how people think on gender is 7%. But when you add political party and how you think differently in this era of 2017 is when the last one was done, look at the difference. 36%. We think way differently based on political party. And what's interesting about that is you look at that graph is back when this poll started in 1994, it was 15%. So there's only a 15% difference of political party, how we thought then, and it's become huge to where it's 36% now. Our country is divided, but you don't need me to show you a graph that our country is divided. I mean, you just watch TV commercials for about five minutes you know, you've got one candidate who goes, you know, and the next commercial is from another place. They're not raccoons. They're, like, going after each other, right? And then you can hear it, like, in conversations with your friends. You can hear it in conversations around the dinner table at the office that there is just this division that is happening in our country over politics because I'm red and you're blue or I'm left and you're right. I'm Republican. You're Democrat. I'm in between, and, and it's getting louder and louder. And so here's the thing. I don't like it when our country is divided over politics. I don't like it when our state is divided over politics. I don't like it when our community is divided over politics. And I hate it if our church is divided over politics. And so this morning, I want to talk about how can we as a church not be divided over politics. So here's the, if you're going to fill in the blank, here's how I put it. How do we keep our blank in the midst of political divisiveness? How do we keep our blank in the midst of political divisiveness? And I don't have a fill in the blank on that middle one because there's a lot of things that could go there. How do I keep my faith? How do I keep the peace in my house? How do I keep my friendship? How do we keep our unity? How do I keep my sanity in the midst of political divisiveness? And so we're gonna talk, what does the Bible say about that in terms of how do we have this unity or this faith in the midst of political divisiveness. So if you brought your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, open up the Riverage app and click the Bible. If you'd like a paper Bible, we actually have some out at the Welcome Center. You can grab one, but the verses will also be on the screen behind me. So it says this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the emperor. So a little bit of background. So this is written by Peter, and he's writing this letter, and it's a letter that would have been circulated to lots of different places. So he's writing to a people who are scattered all around this region. Most of them were in the Roman Empire, but they're scattered in all different 
places. And so he's writing to them saying, this is the situation. You've got a different governor, you've got a different governor, but to respect all governors. And so Peter is writing this to people who are in a politically high-tension type of areas. Now, two things I want us to see in this passage. First, uh, well, is Peter's writing this. I want you to understand this, is that, and again, this is Peter writing it, but this is the Holy Spirit directing Peter to say this. But understand this, that they did not live in a theocracy. Okay, a theocracy, for those of you who missed Government 101, a theocracy is when the laws of the land and the laws of the religion are the same. That's a theocracy. They did not live in a theocracy, and we also do not live in a theocracy. The other is this. As he tells them, he writes to them, he says, be subject to every human institution. So he's saying that there is powers that are above you, and you are to be subject to them in whatever form that takes. Now, in verse 17, I love this verse because it gives four very quick points, and we're going to talk about each of these four points, not exactly in order, but he gives each of these four points. The first one, so it's verse 17, I want us to pick out this one phrase, is fear God. He says, fear God. Now, we're going to go to the book of Joshua just for a minute, and this is Joshua chapter 5 if you want to turn there. If not, you can just read it on the screen behind me. But in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua is going to, about to take over Jericho, or he thinks he's going to take over Jericho. And so he comes, and as he approaches this uh, city, he comes to an angel. Okay? Now, this angel, most of us, I don't know where this came from, but we think about an angel like in little naked babies with like wings and bow and arrows. That looks nothing like what an angel looked like. They're often terrifying looking things. So he comes to this angel, and this is the conversation that he has. Verse 13. It says, And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? So he says, are you on our side or are you for the idiots over there? You know, and he would think, of course, I am you know, head of Israel, God's people, so you must be on our side. But he asked him, are you for us or are you for them? And when it comes to politics, almost every one of us think God is on my side. Whatever your side is, we all go, God is on my side. You know, God, Jesus must be a Republican, Right? Because the Republicans are on the right, and Jesus was always right, so therefore Jesus is a Republican, right? right? Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus is a Democrat, right? Because he was always passing out free health care to people, right? He was always passing out food to people. And then when they picked up all the baskets, they had 12 basketfuls left over. So Jesus must be left, right? And somebody goes, no, 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 no. I have read the scriptures, and I know what Jesus said. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you what? Free. So he's a libertarian. Jesus must be a libertarian like I am, right? We had this, you know, or some of you are even going, you know what? I think Jesus is a socialist because they had all their food in common. He and the 12 disciples, like, they shared everything in common. They were socialists. They didn't own property, right? Everybody wants to say that Jesus would be in their political party. If Jesus were to vote, he would vote with my party. He'd vote with me. Look at what this says, though. If we look back in Joshua chapter 5, chapter 5, it says this. And he said, no. So are you with us? No. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped him. 
You see, Joshua wants to say, are you on our side? You're on our side, right? You're, you're for us. You're for the Democrats. You're for the Republicans. You're for the army of Israel, right? And he goes, no, I am on the Lord's side. And when it comes to politics, we need to remember that, is remember that God is on God's side. God is for God. God is not for Republicans. God is not for Democrats. God is not for any particular party. Or God is for God's side. And notice the response that Joshua has. It says, he fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. He fell on his face and he worshiped God. That his allegiances weren't in the right place. And some of us, maybe this morning, we need to fall on our face and say, you know, I've been a lot more fanatical about my politics than I have been about my God. And we need to fall on our face in repentance to that. Let's look at the second part of this in terms of how we can keep unity or keep the faith in the midst of political divisiveness. Verse, or, uh, the second one is this. Realize the unity is more important than politics. Realize that unity is more important than politics. And I realize there's a typo there. That is my fault if you caught that. It should be than politics, not that politics. But look what it says, going back to this, this key verse, uh, verse 17. And, and remember, again, I want to remind you of the culture, is that they were in a, most of the people receiving this were in the Roman Empire. And they would have had disagreements about how do you handle this. Because the Roman Empire was dominating Israel in the same way that the Nazis were uh, dominating France. That France was an occupied country in World War II. Israel is an occupied country. And so there are people who would have wanted to rise up against the government. There are people who wanted want to run for senator to try and get Caesar out. There's, I mean, all kinds of political thoughts would have been going on in the church. And what does Peter write to them? The middle of verse 17, he says, Love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. No matter who it is, love the brotherhood. It's interesting. Um, if you've been around church very long, chances are you've heard, and if you haven't, that's fine, but you may have heard that there are three different words for love in Greek that are translated all as the word love in English. There's three different words. There's um, agape, which means an unconditional love. There is phileo love, which means a brotherly love. And there's eros love, and that means a sexual love. And so we look at this passage, and it says, love the brotherhood. And so I was curious, saying, what is he talking about? What kind of love is it? Assuming that I would find phileo love, a brotherly love. But that's not the kind of love that he's talking about here. He's talking about agape love, unconditional love. That's the same word to describe God's love for you. How does God love you? Unconditionally. How, does, how are we to love the brotherhood? Unconditionally. But yet, in the church, we let politics divide us. So what this is saying is that we are to love other people even if they vote differently than you. We're to love other people even if they support that crazy candidate that you couldn't imagine any Christian voting for. We're supposed to love other believers even if they vote differently on the abortion thing that's on the ballot this Tuesday. Even if they vote for whatever it is that we are to love people regardless of of how they vote, regardless of their politics. Unconditionally love the brotherhood. You know, this is not to say that we're all, all going to agree. 
we can disagree, and that's fine. We can disagree, but all of us hopefully have this idea that we want what's best for people. We want what's best for mankind. We want what's best for the country and the world. And we can have debate about it. We can have discussion about it, but are we doing it in a spirit of love? Here's a third one, is remove obstacles to the gospel. Remove obstacles to the gospel. Looking again in 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to read to you verse 15. It says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So this is God's will that to put to death, put to silence the ignorance. Don't let anybody be able to say something against you. And then looking down in verse 17, picking out again one of these phrases, it says, Honor everyone. Honor everyone. I want us to talk about and understand that we are to remove obstacles for the gospel. Or to put conversely, what we don't want to do is put up obstacles for the gospel. We don't want our politics or the way that we speak about politics to prevent somebody from hearing about Christ. You know, we've been talking a lot recently at River Ridge about going. We want to go to southern West Virginia. We want to go and reach people in our state. We want to go across the street. We want to go. We want to go. We want to go. We want to go and share the gospel. But unfortunately, what happens is that when we go with angry politics, we forfeit the right or we forfeit the ability to go and share the gospel because we've offended so many people with what we've said in an angry way instead of a subdued and conversational way that they're not going to listen to us about the gospel. I'll give you an example. Um, ben Tool led worship here for a long time, probably six, eight, ten years, something like that. And I loved his worship. Many of you loved his worship And uh, when he led us in worship. And Ben Tool is a huge Mountaineer fan. I'm not sure you'd find a bigger Mountaineer fan. And so sometimes after a big game, like last night, when yesterday when uh, WVB at Texas, someone would come up to Ben and say, you should wear your Mountaineer jersey when you lead worship. Or it was the week before a big game, maybe the WVU Marshall game or WVU Virginia Tech game, a big rivalry game. He said, you should wear your Mountaineer jersey. And he would always say, I don't want to wear my jersey because I don't want to be a stumbling block to somebody coming to find Christ. I don't want to be a stumbling block to somebody entering into worship because I'm staying up here in a jersey that is the team that they don't like. I don't want to be an offense to a Virginia Tech fan or a Marshall fan or an Ohio State fan or a whatever fan. And so he said, I'm not going to do that. And I think there's a great lesson for us in our politics. What do you put on Facebook? How do you put things on Facebook? What do you tweet about? What are the conversations about? Is it so heated over politics that you wouldn't be able to share the gospel with that person? Or can you have a sensible conversation and say, yeah, we disagree, but I love you anyway? Because our goal, our desire is to influence people for the gospel, how we talk about politics can get in the way of that. Here's the fourth way to keep our faith in the midst of political divisiveness, is remain active, remain active. It says this again, going back to our key verse, verse 17. Just the last little command says, honor the emperor, right? So the emperor would change. We call it Caesar, but there are lots of different Caesars, but their political system was the emperor, so honor the emperor. And I would say for us, it is honor the political system that we're under. And so that means a couple of different things as we're talking about 
honoring the political system that we're under. Here's the first. I'm going to give you three real quick things. The first is this, is do your homework. Do your homework about voting. Do your homework about issues. And doing your homework does not mean watching TV ads where people sling mud at each other. Look and see what a candidate actually says, not what somebody says that a candidate says. Look at what's behind a particular issue that's on the ballot. Find out for yourself. Don't look at all those mailers that come in your mail. They say all kinds of stuff. Do your own research. There's websites that you can find. There's candidate platforms that you can find. Do your own homework. Here's the second, is prioritize your own issues. Prioritize your own issues. Here's some questions to consider. How much does character matter to you? Do you prioritize character over issues? How much does party matter? How much does it matter about how a particular candidate campaigns? If you don't like the way he campaigns, does that mean you're going to vote against him or her? How about are you for the person or are you for the platform? Do we vote on a person or do we vote on a platform? Issues, immigration, is that important? When does life begin? Right? Is that an important issue to you? Is that a litmus test for who you vote for and who you don't vote for? Government, you want big government or small government? National debt, are you okay with getting more national debt? Economic growth and development, how important is that? You know, I have an opinion on all this stuff, and I'd be glad to tell you, but not from up here. But I have prioritized and said, this is what's important to me. This is how I will vote based on these criteria. And I would challenge you to do the same thing. And then here's the third thing. It's very simple, is vote. Vote. It's part of our political process. And I encourage you to vote. And if you're not sure who to vote for, again, go back to step number one, research it. Do you need to vote in every race? I'm probably not going to vote in every race because I can't figure out the difference between these 10 people or those three people or whatever. That's okay. But vote. Exercise your right to vote. It's part of the political process. It's part of honoring our political process. And then here's the fifth one, is rest in prayer. Rest in prayer. And uh, we've been talking a lot about prayer at River Ridge. And I want to read to you uh, this verse from 1 Timothy, totally different passage, but it talks about prayer and relationship to the government. It says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet, godly, and dignified life in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. It says that we're with supplications, prayers, intercession, intercessions, and even with thanksgiving to pray for all those who are in authority over us. Be in prayer for this election. Be in prayer for every election that comes around. You know, the other part of this, when I chose this intentionally of rest in prayer, because part of resting in prayer is resting in God. You know, the election's going to happen on Tuesday, and on Wednesday morning, some of you are going to wake up and you're going to go, oh my goodness, this is awful. Or some of you are going to stay up Tuesday night late and watch the election, you're like, oh my goodness, that person won, the world is going to come to an end. That amendment failed, that amendment passed, that, you're going to go, oh my goodness, what, it's the, terrible, right? And you're going to have those feelings. But you know what's not going to happen on Wednesday morning? Is God is not going to wake up on Wednesday morning, and by the way, God doesn't sleep, it's just a, you know, euphemism, but... Here's what's not going to happen. God is not going to wake up on Wednesday morning and go, oh my gosh, she won. I cannot believe it. How did I let that happen? Or he or whoever it is. That's not going to happen. God's not going to wake up on Tuesday morning and okay, uh, we need to get a, the Trinity Caucus going here, uh, Father, Holy Son, and Spirit. Let's get together and figure this out because we got, it's not going to happen. 
we can rest in God's sovereignty because God is about the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of America. God is about the kingdom of God and not a particular party or candidate or issue. God is for God. I want to close with this as you think about what matters in life. And, um, you know, at some point in the future, you will probably be sitting by the bedside of someone who is going to die a few hours later, a few days later, maybe a few weeks later. You are going to sit across the table from somebody at some point in time who's bearing their heart about the struggles that they're having. You're going to sit in a hospital waiting room holding the hand of somebody's loved one who is in surgery and they may not make it out. And in that moment, that person across from you, that person next to you, I guarantee this, none of them are going to say, would you take out your constitution and read me that part again? No, they're going to say, would you take out your Bible? Would you read me the 23rd Psalm? Would you give me some words of comfort? Can we pray together? They're not going to say, who'd you vote for last time? Are you red or blue? Are you for this guy or that guy? They're not going to ask that question. Because in those moments, what matters is the kingdom of God. What matters in those moments is eternity. And we want to be able to be there next to people, across from people, unified with them in heart and soul, and not separated from them because of politics. We want to unify with them and be able to share the words of hope and encouragement that come from Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for your words to us uh, through the scriptures. And I pray, God, that you would unify us as a church, that we would be unified under this idea of going to our state, going to southern West Virginia, going to the valley and sharing the gospel, Lord, that that would unify us against and over and above all other things that Satan might use to divide us. God, would you help us move forward? In Jesus' name, amen.